say you've got to educate yourself, then educate the people. You know, around and the first process that needs to be gone through is the process of self-education. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Welcome to The Survival survival Guide. Guide. You are listening to Radio Skid Row 88.9 with Joel and Lorna. Hope you're having a great Friday. Um, So we're starting with our first week of proper broadcasting of The Survival Guide. Our first episode. Very interesting stuff coming to you every Friday on the city and gentrification. Um, yeah, so what our program is about is about breaking down um, and marrying and connecting and unpacking um, the connections between gentrification and colonisation um, and explaining all of these huge terms that people are using to describe our current state. But first I think we should talk a little bit about where we're coming from when we talk about these things. Maybe give you an introduction to who we are. We, some of you might already know who we are, some of you may not, and I think it'll help set the context for the conversation we're going to have. So I guess I'll go first. <laughs> My name is Joel Spring, Joel Sherwood Spring. Um, I am a Sydney-based architect, or architect-to-be, um, mm. studying here in Sydney um, at the Sydney Uni, at University of Sydney, um, and in engaging in conversations around displacement, gentrification, um, large-scale urban development, and all of these things. I am also I am I come from uh, Wiradjuri country out near Wagga on my mother's side, and um, Irish on my father's side. Uh, mixed bag, with interesting insights into these things. We all play a part in. That's right. Um, my name's Lorna, as I've said. Um, I'm a poet and educator. Um, I am currently working in schools, doing some programs, um, giving kids the tools to be able to express their emotions and find their voices. Um, I suppose a lot of my work has been really around marrying gentrification and colonisation um, and identifying the waves of colonisation that have mm. been um, hitting these shores. Um, and I guess, you know, what this show is all about is how colonisation, how gentrification is colonisation. And it's the exact same thing with the exact same tools. Um, you know, being a history geek we're always talking about knowing yourself and understanding your pathways and um, knowing where you've been in order to track where you're going and know where you're going and um, knowing yourself and how we've got here. So... I guess coming from our perspective, we think that there's, there's really... A, I mean, there's huge things to be taken from what we're experiencing today and what we've experienced as... First peoples in this country over the past two hundred and fifty years on with this with ongoing colonization. It's not it's not something that happened two hundred and fifty years ago. It, it, it's a it's it's a phenomenon that has gone on and continues to extract value and capital from the land that was stolen by by the English monarch and by the colonial power and the imperial power since then. Mm. And, and and we still live within that today. And and we're, what we will what we want to talk about with all of you, and what we hope you guys can come away with at the end of today's show and ongoing from this day forward, is exactly how these things inter interrelate mm. and how these things are connected. I think, mm. and finding the tools to survive that. Exactly. I think um, for for a very long time. I think in in from time immemorial. I think the. Indigenous body has been the one that has has navigated this this mm-hmm. land, and it is the one that narrates it. It is the body that navigates this landscape, and it is the one that it's the one that has been used by other people to gain access to the in, the the insights of this country. We know this country, and how do we go forward with what's going on in our cities today? Taking into consideration the things that we have learned mm-hmm. as Indigenous people in 
in in resistance against colonization mm. and interpreting um, using those tools um, you being an architect and myself being a poet and an educator mm. um, I think that you know there's there's a lot that we bring to the table, which is why we are doing this show so that we can share that information with everybody else because there's no point of just us knowing these things. Um, this information has to be accessible for our people mm. um, and that and and this is why this is a guide for your benefit. The this has been guide. made for you. Mm. Um I'm going to get a little bit nerdy and I'm going to, I'm going to make this a little bit more academic at the moment because I think this is something that I hold very close to myself when I think about what we're doing here. Mm. Um, I'm going to open up with a little Edward Said quote. Um, I mean, the main, bar- the main battle with colonisation is over land, of course, but when it comes to who owned the land, who had the right to settle and work on it, who kept it going, who won it back, who now plans its future, these issues were reflected, contested and even for a time decided in narrative. The power to narrate or to block narratives from forming and emerging is very important. And that's what we're trying to do here on the show. The Survival Guide is trying to mobilise a narrative that is outside of the normal discourse of, oh, well, you know, gentrification is just cafes. It's just, it's, it's, it's just places being, being made a little bit nicer to be in and a little bit, little bit more to our taste. Mm. But whose taste are those? It's good for you. Don't you want nice new streets and a nice new home? Um, you know, and those kind of things are what we're fed all the time. Um, that t- totally reduces dispossession. Mm. Um, and totally um, minimises the history of dispossession in this country and how our people have been moved and moved and moved on. So focusing on our community, the community that we've grown up in and learned in, Redfern, Waterloo, little shout out there, Mm. um, we, we are focusing on the birthplace of... the birthplace of Aboriginal controlled organizations the birthplace of self-determination as we know it in this country mm. um uh, nationally redfern is known as the black heart mm. of the rest of the country exactly um, indigenous and self-determination has for the last 50 years manifested itself spatially and in it's so it's so um symbolic and so metaphorical to be having this urban aboriginal in environment and community on the very same grounds that why people invaded mm. 230 mm. years before. Um, so, you know, these these things are, uh, as Joel said, we're going to geek out on yous. We're going to just kind of spill everything out that we know. We've got a bit of experimentation as well. We've been talking about um, different ways of exposing the things that we've identified within our lives and talking to people and stuff like that. Mm. But I just wanted to, like, just ask you um, and chuck it back to you about your architecture and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. When did you decide that you wanted to become an architect? When was this kind of a thing that you thought, yeah, I can own this, I can do this? It's a funny... I mean, it's a really funny... I... I... I didn't originally plan to study architecture. Um, I mean, you have to. It's how university works. You have to decide at some point. But um, when when I first left high school, I actually decided to go into art school Mm. and I wanted to be a painter. Mm. Um, And funnily enough, while I was going to study at UNSW in the the Kofa campus, they were um, renovating the building. They They were redeveloping the campus and... So uh, the studios of which I wanted to paint in were no longer available and I didn't, I didn't see painting as something that I wanted to get a qualification in. It's something that you need to practice and without the studio space, um, I couldn't practice. And so there's sort of like this funny negotiation where the literal redevelopment, the built environment itself wasn't open for me to be able to use it and, and maybe that's a cop-out um, in terms of my own dedication but uh, that first year was really not very interesting for me. So I unenrolled and I deferred and I kind of just hung around thinking about what I was doing and um, I, had some, I had some great mentorship, but I really just had to think about it very hard. And I think really the point, what I learned in that time outside of uni was kind of to reflect back on my own experiences in my life as, as a younger person. And I grew up um, between the ages of, of seven to when I was a teenager um, living around in the, in the Northern Territory around Alice Springs and in other communities like that. And I think 
truly, it was probably in that moment when I was in a space where I was living in situations where you daily saw people, our people, people from that country who did not have access to the to the sort of amenity and the sort of privileges, let, let alone proper working plumbing and, and functioning houses that the white people just down the street got. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, think, I think that embedded in me that there was really an issue in the way that we provide housing for Indigenous people in this country and it's t- all tied to the colonial history that we engage in and the, the colonial history that is everyone in this country's history. So uh, when I look back on it now, I think that those really built, those really were very distinctive moments in my own history and, and how, I, how I thought these things needed at least another person needed someone with that insight, an Indigenous person working on that side of things for people. And, and uh, I mean, I've tried from that point on to kind of hold that very central to what I do. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm currently doing my master's and hopefully towards the end or by the end of this, I'll be working much more in communities. I mean, that's something that's really important to me. But also, I mean, this community, the community that we're both from, the one the urban Indigenous community of Sydney and Redfern and Waterloo to be specific as the black the black centre mm. of the crucible of Indigenous self-determination and, and the kind of political um, con- the, the p- political consciousness of um, Indigenous Australia was really formed in Redfern and Waterloo and, and we're mm. seeing we're seeing that being eroded by um, the market and property speculation and ideas of betterment that are not attached to this country. Mm. Um, I'll flip it back on to you. What got you interested in these ideas of gentrification? Um, I mean, it's, we're on the front line. We're experiencing it every day. But what, what got you interested in these topics? I guess um, being a kid growing up in the city, um, you know, a lot of the times we... A lot of the times my older brothers and sisters, they really, um, you know took our hands, showed us how to survive in the city, showed us how to get around in crowds without being pushed around as children, you know, all these kind of really, really urban um, street kid kind of um, survival tactics. And I guess my interest from all this sort of stuff is people watching Mm. and observing people, um, you know, and just really taking notice to how people reacted to us being um, Aboriginal kids dressed in runners and, you know, um, mm. jumpers and, and trackies and things like that. Um, those kind of things that really freaked me out, the way that people would react and respond and just freeze and hold their bag and mm. shut their car, like lock their car doors and stuff like that as we were walking past and we had no intention of even looking at them. It actually drew our attention when they would do things like that mm. and it's like, oh, that's really weird, like... Why am I? Why am I such a threat right now when I'm just kind of standing navigating, here? Yeah, navigating um, that urban. Well, navigating a city where there are, I mean, very explicit kind of un, un, kind of um, undescribed or, or or kind of not not visually representative in any other way apart from kind of class and 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 skin color as as real division lines within a within a city that and within a country that at times has praised itself on its multiculturalism mm. so i guess being a poet you know i've always noticed how there's streams of people going every which direction and there's all this organization the way that people move together as units but i always was fascinated by how having one black person that doesn't quite fit the description of what uh you know the model minority is or mm. those kind of things, how those streams that very much represent bloodlines and things like that running through the city, how they just stop. Mm. They just literally just stop when, mm. you know, um, my older brothers and sisters will be taking us out for our birthdays to watch a movie and things mm. like that, mm. you know. Mm. Um, there's a lot of microaggressions that are played out every single day all over this country and it harks back to colonialism. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, being being history geek, being someone that's grown up and being fed black politics like breakfast, lunch and dinner at my dinner table by my mother and mm. by these great thinkers and all the people that they had been exposed to um, and, you know, having access to 
great black writers nationally, um, regionally and internationally. Mm. Um, you know, all of those things kind of made me really interested and made me able to identify what I was seeing and put a name on it. Mm. So say, for example, you know, when I think about gentrification, the first time I kind of really started to understand what it was, was from Ice-T's book about ghettoization, about right. the ghetto and about how, um, you know, within ghettos there's specific situations created for crime to to um, thrive mm, mm. and it's simply by placing rich white people right in the middle of, middle of black ghettos where they're all poor and you have these white people with their nice cars and all of their lovely things. Social and Ice-T yeah. Ice talks about how black people don't actually realise how poor they are until they see the way that white people are living, mm -hmm. they see the way that rich people are living. Mm. Um, um, so that is a huge turning point for black urbanised people. Um, and, you know, being an Aboriginal person and being an Aboriginal woman here in this country, I was just blown away by the fact that my generation has been exposed to these terms and concepts through hip-hop. Mm. Mm, exactly. And it's it's a common thread that I think is is replayed over and over. In And this is what we're trying to get at in, in, in these conversations around gentrification. It's, it's, it's located within... It's located at your very front doorstep, but it's also a global issue. This thing is these these things are happening across the globe, in every city, in every community, and who loses out? Who loses out in these in these situations? It's 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 manifested in so many leveled ways from the top down, and we're going to explore that in the show for all you guys, and and we're going to speak to lots of different people. We got a we got some great we got some really great interviews lined up next week as well with your mother named, and some other people, which would be mm -hmm. great. We, we've got a long list of um, content that we want to expose our audience to. Mm. Um, uh, and we've been very experimental mm. in creating this content with the support of Skid Row, mm. um, which has been wonderful to have those resources and have a space, especially when we're talking about space and taking mm -hmm. over space and acquiring space and how to reclaim space and safe um, space and you know it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that um we've had the privilege to have access to over these last couple of weeks planning the show and getting to know um the landscape and the politics involved in all of this as well and it's 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 very interesting stuff so i think i think we should kind of move on to a kind of conversation of so kind of what brought us here What's brought us here to have this conversation today? I, I think there there is a few points that we can draw directly as what's kind of contemporary to um, this Sydney CBD's um, new idea, idealization of itself, um, which has seen the movement and the dispossession and displacement of Indigenous communities um, again through different you know different means be it through government legislation and and the terms around public housing which mm. we're now seeing in waterloo with mm. the redevelopment of the waterloo public housing estate or be that the contentious and highly um political issues around the aboriginal housing company down on the block um with mm. the occupation by the 10 embassy and now the redevelopment um, brought along by Daycorp and and the aftermath and mm. you know the uh, where's the count accountability still to this day um, we're still asking for transparency and I guess um, again you know this is why we're doing this program is to be able to share those tools of mm. understanding and unpacking and finding your place in it and what you can do what you can do to survive this, what you mm. can do to counteract these things, um, mm. you know, and being being someone that's ex been exposed to great black radical thinkers, mm. it always goes back to why are we trying to reinvent the wheel when things worked out really well 30, mm. 40 years ago mm. and how we've gotten here exactly, and that's what we've been talking about, yep. is the steps and stairs and the policies um, that have brought us to this point. Mm. Um and the history of that. Yeah. Um, because history in this country with co colonisation is a cycle mm. and it's a cycle of toxicity, very much like an abusive relationship. So if you're not aware of how to identify what an abusive relationship is, you're more than likely to be stuck in it and think that that's normal and that's okay because we've been conditioned to normalise this the same way we've been conditioned to normalise 
how inhumanely we've been being treated in the whole history of this country's establishment as a country. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 to, and that we take that these things, you know, are the way that things have to go. Um, we, we don't question or we, we can maybe be outraged and upset for a little bit. I mean, I'm going to maybe just go into covering a little bit more around the history around Waterloo. Mm. I, I'm sure some of you have heard about this, and this is, this is the context through which Lorna and I actually properly met. Mm. Um, so I guess to kind of give a bit of context, in, in late 2015, the redevelopment of and the large-scale sell-off of public housing in Waterloo was announced um, to make way for a new retro sta- a new metro station um, in high density private um, housing, mm. where they're going to turn the existing estate, which currently houses there's 2,000 tenants living there, but there could be more, and it has a capacity to house at least 8,000 people. They're going to turn that in, and they're going to take 70 percent of that and turn that into private housing while maintaining the capacity for 5,000 public housing on the same estate. Um, with, the, with the first wave of relocations to commence at the end of 2019, which has been delayed, which is first nominated in 2017, but you know that hasn't happened yet. The decision to, to, to redevelop the Waterloo area is part of a state program in, involving the sell-off and redevelopment of public housing estates and the transfer of public housing into privately owned and run community housing. And I mean, we're going to talk about what the deeper meaning of these issues are in later shows, and we're going to unpack some of the logic around the economics around the conversation of divestment from welfare, how that's happened, where we've, where, how far we've come, and how bad things have gotten since these mm. kind of this 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 turn over the last forty years of kind of a, a, a more centralized or de-institutionalisation um, of the way that we deal with people and the way that we deal with money in, mm. in Australia. Um, mm. And this is nothing new, you know, coming from residents. They mm. mightn't use the same terms to describe this, but we're all aware of the campaigns of dispossession, the mm. campaigns of displacement and um, mm. famous comments, getting rid of black faces mm. in the area. Mm. Um, you know, these are all companies that are still are still working in the area and are visibly are working there while we still have, you know, no spaces for urban black artists from Redfern and Waterloo to be able to mm. provoke conversation, yeah. be able to um, make work for our people yeah. um, in the place of, you know, the birthplace of black power as we know it, the exactly. birthplace of all of these great things. Black arts nationally owes a huge debt to Redfern and Waterloo. Mm. Everybody owes a huge debt to this place. I mean, exactly. The, you know, to the Indigenous community, to us, to other people who exist here, the redevelopment of Redfern and Waterloo represents so much more than the loss mm-hmm. of physical housing stock. It, 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 pro- it promotes economic growth over mm-hmm. the stability and well-being of a community. And, mm-hmm. I, and that's literally what it is. It's, it's seeing that there is more value to be taken from what you could turn this place into for people with more money than what it stands as now for mm-hmm. the community that exists. And, I mean, yeah. it, it, it creates further barriers it, mm. it, it dispossesses and breaks up communities mm. that have spent so long in this space and i think it's a very exclusionary way of treating people and, and it's and just triggering as well you know mm. because we we know the story of how there is that community there mm. and it hasn't always been there that's exactly. the point we've had to fight tooth and nail for that for that space exactly um and now it's being ripped out from under us um you know and a lot of the services have been um eroded a lot of the you know visible black faces are Mm. being moved on um and that's what this is all about but you know this is all very triggering coming from the place the front line of invasion and redfern waterloo is the front line and it's a local example of the kind of urban redevelopment practices that are taking place globally. Mm. Um, These are directly linked specifically to the geopolitics of land ownership and the neoliberal colonisation of public land being enacted within areas that we all live in, the way in which value is extracted from the land again. I mean, Mm. duh. The colony that was built to take away and extract value from stolen land was never going to build a sustainable housing system. Mm-mm. Was never going to do anything that was actually going to benefit anyone in, in this mm-hmm. system. And was never going to make treaties or do any of the legal processes that you know have been kind of accepted as the way to 
to I don't know um, colonize a space. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Um, We're going to start with a repeating segment, the very first of our repeating segments in the show, and it is titled. It is called T- Cartographers of Colonization. And shout out to Sister Girl Evelyn Ara Lewin, who suggested the title. Um, another black academic um, identifying and naming, um, you know, a lot of the things that we're already doing in our practices, um, but name, naming, him, naming them in that academia, uh, that yes. black academic. Because we're, we're black nerds up here. That's what we're doing. We're bringing this. We're bringing this black scholarship to the airwaves for we're all of you. We're total blurds. We're total blurting out. And you're going to see it. And we are going to be playing for you. We're setting up. Um, Cartographers of colonization is a very much a social experiment, measuring the human cost of colonization. Um, so when we look at colonization, we have a twofold effect. So we have the colonized people. Um, are dispossessed, often um, stuck in intergenerational poverty Mm. because they have no access to resources Mm. generationally. Um, They've never been able to build up any kind of wealth. Um, And when it is built up because of our cultural... um, our cultural uh, obligations and a lot of our cultural methodologies and things like that, um, it's actually not a part of our thinking to build up wealth. Um, you know, we leverage that straight up, which brings us to why it's so important to leverage white privilege once you know what it's about. Mm. Um, the So the two folds of it, we've got uh, colonised people ending up with PTSD mm. in poverty. Yep. And then we've got descendants of psychopaths normalising murder, massacre, genocide, which, again, you know, if we look at what has happened in this country and all the regional sort of spaces that we come from and how our our places have been colonised, we can really start to understand the colonisation that exists and the nuances that exist in all these areas. The ongoing ongoing colonisation of Indigenous peoples worldwide. These are themes, common threads across the globe. And the things that we see in Australia in the day-to-day and in the mundane Mm. are violent acts. Mm -hmm. They are. They're the precipitate of violence and conflict. So going from measurements of racism, how do we measure colonisation? How do we map colonisation? Again, using maps is a very colonial tool of conquering land. Um, You know, they often say that once you name something, you own it. Mm. which is very much, um, you know, a, a colonisational tool. Mm. Um, and I guess cartographers of colonisation is a social experiment, again, just measuring that colonisation. We was out in downtown Redfern talking to white people. Out on the beat, out on the street, talking to white people. Talking to white people um, about these words, um, about colonisation, um, about gentrification. About gentrification, about whiteness. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should just cut to it. I let's think just let's just dive straight into it, and we might have some reacts. We might have some breakdowns. Um, this has been a great journey for myself. Um, I came into this already scared. Um, I came into this, you know, because I've been. I I am visibly black. I'm visibly a single mother in Redfern. Um, you know, I, I've. Uh, it's like I get attacked by a white man almost every week. Yeah, it's shameful. Um, it's full on, you know. And a lot of people have said to me, "You need to have a camera with you." Mm. So I guess this is kind of like we haven't got cameras, but we've got mics. We've we've got mics, so we can record conversations, and the conversations are gold. Mm. So mm. we yeah we were walking around, and um, I'm just gonna play one. I think this is with a woman you spoke to. Her name's Astrid. Um, Astrid, yep. Um, so we we were playing at the park, and um, our producers just pulled in all these white people for us to talk about and trigger. Yeah, here we go. First one's up. Do you mind saying your age and suburb? First? So I'm 23 and I'm living in Surreals. Where was that, sorry? In Surreals. Surreals. And I'm 23. Alright. So how do you feel when you hear the word white? Class. Don't ask me. Yeah? Um, do you identify as being white? Me? Yeah. 
not specially. I would say Caucasian. Caucasian? Okay. And I don't like it too much. Uh, where about are you from? France. So, mm. Caucasian. Caucasian. As a, over white. Yeah, prefers to be known as Caucasian. I uh, This word for me as artists and I guess um, as both artists, we can really identify these things. I find it fascinating that in this country, white people are very apprehensive to talk about white or even mention the word white. Mm. Even in artistic um, um, art statements and stuff like that, when white artists are actually talking about their art and it features prominently either black or white colors yeah. i find it i find it hilarious that they can't even talk about the color white they'll mm. use things like fair light bright every other word but white um which you know poetry exposes something it exposes something exactly and i think i think she goes on to talk about kind of why it makes her uncomfortable and i think we'll listen to that now i just noticed that it's it's um words have made you feel a little bit comfortable is that right yeah because like i'm speaking as a white person privilege and it's part of me that that exists it's part of me like uh, australia is very racist like i come from french it's not brilliant either it's and i just feel terrible to speak about that like not, not to speak i'm happy to speak about that but it's just i feel terrible as a white person privilege here you're coming you to ask me that because I can't imagine, but I, I, I can. I don't know, but I can imagine how hard it is to like facing that every day, and like being in your place, and people come around and tell you how to do your life, or like take your land, and like how to live, and put you on the side, and what the hell? <laughs> and like what take the your hell? land. <laughs> I love how she said, "Like take your land." Um, That's what happens, you know. And it's, um, I mean, it's really interesting to hear the, the kind of the perspective of someone um, who, you know, is, is white or Caucasian. <laughs> and, um, wants, she prefers Caucasian. Yeah, and, and wants to um, kind of understand what's going on in Australia and sees it as wrong mm. um, and sees those things even in contrasting to where she's from. And mm. I think that that's quite interesting and it's really important to kind of, it really hits on the things that we normalise as, as a society and the things that we're used to, um, the things that black people um, and not just Indigenous people but, you know, all non-white mm. people of colour are dealing with um, in terms of racism in this country. I think, it, I think the, the, the colonial sentiment and the imperial ideas that formed um, Australia go in and are very much the seed of which we still deal with race relations in today in Australia and, and the way that, that non-white people are treated in this country. And it's awful. Mm. Um, I just find it really interesting how she's... Um how she said Australia is very racist. Um, she talks about um, white privilege. I think she was actually the only person to offer up and identify her positioning within white privilege. And I find that interesting because she was an international visitor. Mm. Um, and I kind of um, went a bit further as to my theories about how that exists. Mm. Um, and, you know, being a young person that has been privileged to travel that was the only way that I identified the racism that we have grown up here is getting out of it um, and seeing the way that people are treated in other countries. And it's not to say that racism doesn't exist. It's just there's a certain kind of special sort of racism that exists here, which is really dumb. I'm going to play a bit of a, bit of a longer recording now, um, kind of talking around whiteness colonisation and a few more trigger words that you'll hear in the segment. So I think this is, I think this is V and she had very interesting comments. I'm 41 and I live just down the street there about 50 metres. Okay, so where are we at the moment? In Redfern Park, next gotcha. to the fountain. Okay, so how do you feel when you hear the word white? Uh doesn't bring up any feelings at all. Okay. Um, white, white bread, white chocolate, white people. Yeah, just word association was the first thing you think of. Yeah. The first thing that came actually was white bread. I don't eat it. Do you identify as being white? Um, yeah, yeah. My um, whole family, I was brought up white. There's a branch in my family tree that is just cut off. There's all kinds of stories in my family about what that means. But no, I've definitely been brought up white. I look white. How do you feel when you hear the word genocide? Um, 
bad for people who have experienced that. I mean, it happens all over the world. It continues to happen. You think we'd have gotten over it by now, but we haven't. How do you feel? How do you feel when you hear the word colonization? Again, something that happened all over the world, and I guess in some ways it's hard not to feel a bit of guilt when. You look around a country like Australia, where most people are pretty, pretty well off and pretty wealthy, um, but that came at a huge price, and it's still, it's people are still paying that price. How do you feel when you hear the word land rights? Um, do you know that's so hard? Because again, like, it sounds like war. Really? Yeah. Could you explain more? Can you yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah, land rights, it's, it's stealing property off people. And mm, so it feels like war. How do, you, how do you feel when you hear the word reparations? We've had a yeah, few everybody, people. Everybody so. needs. Everybody needs. Um, if you have everything taken away from you, you deserve to have something given back to you. A lot of people um, don't actually understand what that word means, and I've had to spend some time explaining that today, um, which I think is interesting. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. I mean, I mean, and we're not going to take shots at anyone. These are all people's opinions and, and, and the way that they feel, and I just think it's really... it's This is the whole point of what we're trying to do here I mean with the show in general but also with this segment is we really want to unpack kind of what some of these things mm. that, that that come up mm. in the discourse around Australia, around dispossession around colonisation and how you feel mm. white people about these things Yeah, leave your fragility at the door um, or back there at the shore where you've landed um, that's that's kind of the whole thing. I found it really interesting that she was really confident when we were going into it and then there was a long pause when she was asked about whiteness. Mm. There was a long pause um, and then she said that she didn't feel anything or she didn't think about anything but then was quick to offer up white bread, white people, what else was it? Um, white chocolate, which I find really interesting. Which isn't even really chocolate, doesn't have any cocoa in it. That's how I feel, right? Um Get Why? some cocoa up in there. Why? Um, get some colour up in that. Um, well, we, we spoke to, yeah, I mean, Lorna spoke to some very polite, nice white ladies. And, and I was very polite too. Mm. Um, I like to mention that that showed huge restraint um, on my part um, to not go in there and go, well, actually, um, you know, and actually break down why they thought about those things and how they were, were reacting. Yeah. What I find so interesting is white people are so ready to talk about and take up space with things they do not understand. Mm-hmm preach whereas we get you know we get belittled we get um we get spoken down to um you know people don't even want to receive the things that we are talking about me as an aboriginal woman being a poet i've been talking about this for ages is that you know the whole social capital thing and this wokeness kind of trend that's happening at the moment white men can get up there and literally rip my lines word for word and people will love it they'll win those competitions they'll win all these things i get up there and it's like whoa that's way too hard that's way too hard for a black woman to talk about what has happened to her but we can talk about and celebrate white men Mm. that will talk about this pain um and i at the end of that i think i just kind of um just spoke about that about how she was reacting to historical black pain in the presence of a black woman but she was the one that was upset mm. Um, mm. she was the one that was um, kind of long pauses yep. and then seeming so confident but then not um, and again you know this is how we measure these things this is how we measure um, the colonial mind frames that are reinforced on us mm. every single day living in this country I mean, also to explain, to give us also a bit of context before we go into the next part of the segment, I, we weren't picking white people out of the crowd, <laughs> at least for me. Like, these were the only people that would come up and talk to That's me. That's right, I, I or could, agree to be spoken to and recorded. Yeah, I, I, I only got white men. I mean, you spoke to some women and I, I, would, only, I would only be able to 
um, no one was else was comfortable speaking to me or, or had the time. I mean, I, and I totally understand that. Mm. Um, so I'm going to play a little bit through the same kind of conversations we had, more focused on the idea of gentrification mm. in Redford. Sorry, I just wanted to bring it back to that last one. She was the only person that I'd interviewed that whole day that identified as being white. Everybody else described how it made them uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that that was something that you picked up on as well. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, very important. I couldn't actually get my guys to answer the question. Mm. They wouldn't. They wouldn't get around to it. So it's um, well, they're deflecting. But you know, that's how that's how we talk to each other, us bros. We always just you know, buff it back to the other. Um, I'll let it go from there. So, what does the word gentrification mean to you? Uh, I would say uh, revitalization of the area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Revitalization. Um, I guess it in this context would refer to an influx of. Maybe people who don't have, I don't know, a long history of being here, influx of money, pushing people out, etc., etc., just to put it loosely. But yeah. What, is it, what does gentrification look like to you? Well, what does Why? it look like to you? And I'll, and I'll see whether or not I agree with your conclusion. Oh, I mean, it, not necessarily a good thing. I've been uh, in Redfern 21 years. Mm. Almost as long as me. Um, I'm 25. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, it's a, a change of demographic. You know, mm. that's not always a good thing. Do you think that you play a part in gentrification? Um, I think everyone plays a part. Obviously, this this area is undergoing um, an intense process of, of gentrification. You're pointing to how it's displacing um, indigenous peoples here who have a long heritage living here. Is that right? Do you think that gentrification is for everyone? Do you think it's do you think it's a good thing? Probably not. Yeah. No. I mean, if you're if you're on the lower end of the income scale and public housing will be pushed out, mm. you probably wouldn't agree with it. You know, if you've got lots of property in the area, you probably would. I think that with everything, people's um, feelings need to be considered and, um, you know, cultural ties and heritage always need to be considered. I mean, you can't just be like, I've got money, I'm coming. Like, who's to say that, you know, Joe Blow can't, come and, you know, buy a territory for one and a half million dollars and, you know, bring his mates and, and I'm just posing this question purely for debate, like what what kind of um, barriers would you would you advocate to consider other people's feelings during this this process of gentrification? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's more than feelings as well, because you're talking yeah. about yeah, kind no, of where no. people live and work and, and sort of the communities that they may have been brought up in, which are changing quite drastically because of, you know, really just the market. It's property speculation and other things making it quite difficult to live, as well as, you know, government policy that what they're doing to the Rachel Foster Hospital and then also down in Waterloo, where they're going to redevelop the whole site for the public housing estate. You know, these are government reform. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's informed kind of by, I think, also a cultural value around... Um, Owning homes, home ownership is, 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 has been an Australian cornerstone for, you know, 70 years or so, if not prior to that. What Wouldn't do you, you say, though, that, I mean, owning a home, I mean, is that not universal? I think, I think dividing and, and looking at land in, in certain consumable ways is definitely a way of taking control of something that maybe at one point would have been contested who had control over this land. I mean, this okay. the conversation goes deeper. So Again, it's a land rights about, thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's a land rights. How do you feel about the term land rights? What does that make you feel? Um, land rights, like just as an abstract turn of phrase, land rights. My understanding of land rights. Um, oh. Fuck, that's a hard one, isn't it? I mean... In a legal sense, like if you, you know, if you buy land in this um, capitalist system, you own that land and you have certain legal rights around it. Mm, until you don't. The well, land. then it will go to your yeah. benefactors, yeah. though, always. Mm. Well, not. Although, you know, if you can't pay your mortgage, the bank will claim it. That's how it is. That's how it happens. That's how it is. We live, in a, we live in a world. <laughs> a bank is made of men, but it does not behave like a man. It's true. <laughs> it behaves like a bank. <laughs> Behaves like a bank. The whole land rights thing. That whole land rights thing. I mean, he seemed pretty confident in what he had to say. And oh, then, he seemed hella confident. But I mean, that's the issue. It's like we don't, we don't have this. We don't have these conversations um, enough. 
I don't think white people are having these conversations enough except to be in direct opposition of the kind of ideas of land rights. Mm. I think it was really, really interesting kind of comparing those last two with both of us mm. about, um, you know, the kind of V talking about how she felt that land rights was kind of connected to war and displacement. Mm. And, you know, she wasn't really being very specific about who was being displaced or, mm. or who was being um, harmed in these wars or harmed in this issue. And then we speak to, you know, this fine upstanding citizen and he, I mean, he didn't have anything to say. And, and, and maybe that's a reflection of, of how we have these conversations represented in society. Um, and, and how they are represented in education and, and, and the media and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And, um, really how, in a sense, there's, there's, quite a lot of, there's quite a lot of distrust and propaganda um, put into mm-hmm. the conversation around these things. Mm-hmm. And, and those guys really just sounded like they were repeating propaganda that they had already heard, mm-hmm. which, again, for me, is kind of that's evidence that proves the theories that I had coming into this. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting for a seat at the table mm. in our own houses. Exactly. Um, you know, and I find it hella funny that white people don't actually have the capacity to be able to navigate these kind of conversations when that is all our people have been screaming for for the last 230 years. Exactly. It's all um, about the land. It's all about land and our right to land and how our people were murdered and everyone tells us to get over it while they live in their nice houses that are on top of our sites. Exactly. Um, and in a long story short, that's pretty much what's happening in, in Redfern. We're not even aware of the cultural significance that that ground holds. We are only starting to scratch the surface and really um, investigate these things that we know and feel are true mm. um, and pit them against this white sense of knowing and feeling that is so much more valuable than ours. Mm. Um, Mm. And I think that's what it comes back to. And I just love how there's all these long pauses when people start out so confidently. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's representational of, I think, the conversation that isn't being had in most most spaces. Mm -mm. Um, Because they can't, they don't know how, they they get triggered when when they hear the word white. Exactly. <laughs> or exactly. gentrification. Or well, they just don't answer. They don't answer because they, the, um, mm. they have the privilege mm. to not. Or in a roundabout way or in another mm. flip side and what I've experienced, you get attacked. Yeah, exactly. Um, Why would you do it? Exactly. I mean, this is what it's about. We're trying to test new things. We're trying to have these conversations down the street. And, um, I mean, if you guys uh, feel in a certain way about this, any Aboriginal people out there listening, we'd love to have a chat with you guys. I mean, mm-hmm. get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. That's the end of this week's segment of Cartographers of Colonisation, putting down points on the map in Redfern, Mm. talking to people about how they feel about gentrification, Mm. whiteness and land rights. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of... We're coming to the end of our first hour of of the show. This has been really great to share this stuff with you. It's been really awesome to talk with you, Lorna, on air about the stuff that we're so interested in and mm. to kind of give an offering up of our first segment mm. of kind of the, the stuff that we're doing, the kind of more experimental stuff that we want to try and be doing kind of behind the scenes while we're mm. not here on air talking to you guys about these things. Yeah, um, it's, about, it's about sharing that evidence that we've gathered within the last two weeks and that's very much what we'll be bringing to Skid Row every Friday. Yeah, I mean, in this city, you know, like Australian cities... You know, they're inundated with construction, especially the East Coast and the Southern East. With public announcements of new developments and citywide private openings of new buildings almost every week, there are reportedly more cranes in the East Coast capital cities than there are on the entire Northern American continent. Mm. I mean, just that alone. How crazy is this? That we're going through this huge bust and I know that everyone can see it. It's not just me. Everyone's complaining about, you know... The, uh, the disruptions in our everyday lives with travel and transport, um, noise, pollution. Exactly. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things that come to the surface too when we dig up, dig up the earth. Um, exactly. And with these cranes and high-rise towers come not less but more problems. I mean, mm-hmm. with the ever-increasing housing affordability crisis, overcrowded schools, mm-hmm. longer working hours trying to mm-hmm. pay off mortgages, worsening homelessness... It is, is like it's not a surprise that these mm. issues of densification and housing affordability are 
are becoming key issues to voters across the nation. And it's it's not just our problem. It's it's a worldwide issue. We are we're we're experiencing a commodification of housing that is aggressively redistributing wealth to the top and taking land and basic the basic right to live in a comfortable home from marginalized people and people and and it, and it's affecting us more and more every day mm. and it's getting worse and worse mm. for everyone. Mm. And on top of that, you know, our people, our Aboriginal people are already marginalised. They've already been dispossessed um, and then dispossessed and dispossessed some more and then moved on, um, names changed, forced to marry somebody that you probably didn't want to marry, um, all these kind of things, you know. Um, it's all gotten us to this point right where we're at right now. Exactly. Um, so keep it locked. I mean, every Friday we'll be here talking to you guys about these things. This is huge, you know, and again, the human toll. It's huge on us as young Aboriginal people mm. and, um, you know, having the job of having to unpack these things for our own mob as well as having to navigate really, really weird conversations with white people who make up the majority um, in this country, in mm. our own country. And if that's not evidence of genocide, then I don't know what is. Um, you know, the fact that we make up, what, 2.3 or is it 3% now? Close 3%, to 3% of the national population. We always have to keep reminding people about that. Mm. Mm. And there's a, and I mean, we're going to keep on hounding, hounding on to you guys about it every week. So I hope you keep it locked. Next week, we've got some really great programming set up. We're going to have a really great interview with Jenny Munro mm-hmm. and have a, have a conversation around neoliberalism and black economics. Uh, it should be really fun. It won't be dry, it won't be dry and boring, I swear. Um, if you want to find out more and want to see some extra content and join the discussion, you can follow us on Radio Skid Row Facebook. We have an Instagram, or you can contact us directly through the Facebook. Yep. Um, you can call us as well while we're in the studio. Call us in the studio. You can look us up on SoundCloud. Oh, exactly. If you want to listen to this again, we will be we will be exporting a shorter version of the show um, onto SoundCloud for your you know leisure. You know, maybe you can't catch it. Maybe you're out doing something. Maybe you're out at lunch. You know, it's a Friday, you got off work early, you're at the beach or something. I mean, it's winter, so you're probably not. But, like... Oh, these, these white people here are crazy. They get in that water. They, they you know, they'll, they'll do anything for that sun and that beach again, which is why they killed our people for <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> really bad jokes, I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, really shout-outs to the um, Community Broadcasting Foundation and University of Sydney for helping this happen. Shout-outs to our wonderful producer, Hannah. Shout-outs to Nicola and everyone else. Shout-outs to Travis listening in Alice Springs. Um, Thanks a lot. Um, We'll speak to you again next week. What I always say, you've got to educate yourself, then educate the people. And the first process that needs to be gone through is the process of self-education. Yeah.